Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami, who wants to know, what does the Federal Reserve mean when they say housing reset? We have lots to talk about, so let's jump in. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. Great to have you on on this. Uh, we're, we're recording this on Jobs Friday. So tell me, what is the jobs report telling you? It's a very interesting jobs report because, you know, the the headline, um, 315,000, which was less than last month, but last month was a, was a really big number. That number was also revised lower. Um, the... Uh, unemployment rate uh, ticked up. And I think a lot of people, they get confused about that. The headline jobs number was actually a beat of estimates. We had about 107,000 jobs revised lower in the last two reports. Uh, But uh, the unemployment rate ticked. The labor force participation picked up uh, on on this report. So whenever there's more people coming into the workforce, there can be times where the unemployment rate increases. And that's actually one of the things the Federal Reserve wanted to see. Um, when people when people hear the Federal Reserve wants the unemployment rates to rise, sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean jobs have to be lost. They just want more people into the workforce. And I think one of the things that came out of Jackson Hole, which is a very big topic to us, uh, we've always talked about this, that the labor force growth isn't as strong as it used to be. Everyone should have known this for you know, 20, 30, 40 years. So they're not, you can't count on people coming in and filling in those jobs. So I think this was a good report from their sense that more people are coming in, uh, jobs are being created. But the unemployment rate actually went up uh, for everyone that didn't have a bachelor's degree. Uh, uh, that unemployment rate went from 2, 2% to 1.9%. And all the other unemployment rates actually ticked up a little bit. But Partly for a good reason, I I believe we get more people coming into the labor force. I think we're still missing three million people. Um, the pre uh, pre COVID era, some of those people have died. Some of those people are have long COVID. Some of those people have retired. Uh, but we're still missing uh, that amount. So more people coming into the workforce is a good thing. I've always had a fundamental belief that if your unemployment rate is below three percent, that's not a good thing. I mean, of course, everyone's working, but that probably means that your labor force growth is being uh, uh, tapped out. That's why the college-educated labor for, uh, unemployment rate being under two percent probably not the best. You want more. You want to. You every country wants a growing labor force because eventually people leave the workforce, they die, they need to be replaced. So uh, I I I enjoyed this report a lot because. Uh, uh, it's things that you want to see. You want more people coming back to work. You want uh, uh, productivity growth has been terrible. So we need more labor and more labor is a good thing because more people working are a good thing. And and that's, that's, that's how I view this report, even though the headline could be confusing to some. We were really looking to this report because we know that the Fed, this is one of the things that uh, for you, this really plays into what you think the recession model is. You know, we're in a housing recession, but if we're if it's going to spread to the larger economy, jobs are key. But also the Fed actions are absolutely 
looking at this job, I mean, their Fed actions are absolutely reliant on what happens on jobs. So tell us about what this means for what they might do. So there's for myself, my six recession red flags are all up. Uh, and again, that's when they are all up, we're not technically supposed to be in a recession. That's the difference. I think a lot of people were calling for a recession without jobs being lost and production falling. Not the case historically post-World War II. So GDP growth looks to rebound in this quarter for some of the reasons why it detracted in the previous quarter. I think people have to uh, understand the components of how we measure uh, GDP. So export data gets pretty wild. Inventory data can be pretty wild, both positive and negative. So the Federal Reserve wants the growth rate of inflation to get back down to 2%. That's their mandate. So they're just basically following the jobs that they gave, the job that was given to them. So in that regard, the labor market is the other thing that they want to facilitate a healthy labor market. Uh, so they have that. And some of the internal jobs data actually got better recently. Jobless claims had been uh, uh, rising from a very historical low level, and it's stabilized and have gone lower the past few weeks. Nothing too dramatic, but it's definitely stabilized. Job openings picked up again. Uh, uh, we're over 11 million. So those are the things that the Federal Reserve feels comfortable sounding very hawkish in. Because if those things turn, then it becomes a very difficult uh, uh, situation for them to, to sound as hawkish as they are. And I, and I believe a lot of their talking points goes to that junkyard dog uh, premise. Uh, they just want to talk the market down. They, they did not like mortgage rates falling one and a quarter percent. Um, uh, they did not like the stock market rallying. And this is why uh, even one of the Fed officials, uh, Kashkari, says, hey, listen, I'm glad the stock market fell. So this is a basically an open war uh, jawboating from Federal Reserve members who want to make sure that the stock market and the bond market realize that they're serious. But even with that, even with that discussion, the long end of the bond market has not broken out to prevent an inverted yield curve. Inverted yield curve was one of the six recession red flag models. So uh, it, it just gets more and more interesting the longer this goes, because some of the inflationary data is falling. You know, gas prices are falling. You know, freight prices from China are falling to the LA ports. You know, those things uh, uh, will impact the CPI inflation data and the PC inflation data to come down the growth rate. The question is, if they stick to that 2% uh, uh, model, then you still have a ways to go. So uh, they're just buying time. I think later on, four, five, six months from now, when they get to their so-called neutral rate, I think the language will change then. It becomes more of a story for next year uh, because they're talking about we keep the rates higher for longer if the economic data gets weaker, there's the challenge for them. That's when I think they fade. Uh, I think a lot of this barking changes once the labor market changes because it's going to be much harder for them not to uh, uh, react to that. And, and I believe the bond market itself will react to that as well. Well, you brought up rates. Let's talk about them. Let's jump in. Interest rates, mortgage rates, 10-year yield. Where are we? You know, 10-year yield has has gone up a lot higher. It's basically sold off really since the Fed has been more aggressive on trying to fight that. And, and I truly believe this. They did not like the bond market going lower 
and did not like mortgage rates going lower. So mortgage rates got up to six and a quarter yesterday, or almost yeah, almost about there, and they fell almost a quarter uh, this morning. So the mortgage market pricing, you know, if you look at the summer of 2022, this is mortgage rates gone wild summer edition. That's going to be a classic on DVD for about. 50 years. So there's a lot of drama in the mortgage pricing world. And it's part of it is just functionally not healthy just to have these kind of wild moves. And again, for myself, the more alarming factor was that while mortgage rates were falling, new listings were declining as well. Um, uh, I had hoped that wouldn't be the case. Uh, but now that mortgage rates higher again, it just makes it more expensive for people who are thinking about selling to move. And I think we have to really watch the new listings data for the month of September, because by October, that's when total inventory starts to fall. Uh, so a lot of the growth that we've seen, uh, uh, in inventory accumulation has all come from what I've always thought higher rates create weakness in demand in, you know, inventory can accumulate. The accumulation has not been a lot considering how big mortgage rates have gone coming off of a massive home price growth. I mean, really, if we weren't starting from all-time lows uh, in January, uh, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be much inventory growth whatsoever to talk about. So it's the accumulation of inventory, and I'm hoping that the second year, if housing still stays weak, a new wave of traditional listings will get us back to 2019 levels. But the fact that new listings fell during rates falling, not encouraging at all. I feel like inventory is the story. I really do. I feel like inventory is the story right now because it is the thing that's constraining so much of the um, rest of, you know, we know that there is some buyer demand, but not if they're going to have to, you know, pay pay what they think is over what they should pay because there's so few listings. My My concern always with inventory during this period has been that when we break to all-time lows in 2022, as we did in 2021, as we did in 2020, our population growth is much higher than they were in the 80s and 90s, uh, even the start of the century. So the too many people chasing for too few homes that we know we talked about this recently, you know, this is the main reason why 82% of homes get sold within a month or less. It's not because demand is like booming. And that's that's been so much of my work during this period of time. We don't have like a credit sales demand boom. Um, so days on market are low because we just have a lot more people. And that's why I, I try to focus people to the late 1970s and early 80s. You know, 2 million sales to 4 million sales, back down to 2 million sales. Well, guess what? We're going to have over 5 million total home sales in 2022. So if you're talking about active listings versus the population growth, there's a good comparison for people to try to get perspective. Um, because to have days on market still be at 14 days and to have 82% of homes been sold uh, in less than a month, there's something there that needs to be explained. And that's, that's how I try to focus people. That's why I like showing active listings on a historical basis so people can understand. It's not like we have 50 or 60 million people in the country. We have over 330. So uh, move up buyer, move down buyer, cash buyer, investor, first time home buyer. You put them all together. Um, it's a lot more uh, homes being bought uh, uh, than what we had in the uh, late seventies and, and uh, uh, early eighties. So naturally, you know, the, there there is a there is a situation where prices can escalate out of control just because of the raw shortage of product. Uh, so even now, I think now that we're in 
September, I think people could kind of understand this better because home sales are falling, right? And it's not like what we saw in 2006, 2008, or anything like that. It's just a different marketplace. Um, but going back to the jobs report, a lot of people are talking about major ev evictions, you know, millions of people foreclosing their homes. By the way, yes, I did tweet that out. You, you know, people that are mad that Americans aren't losing their homes, you know, kind of off, right? You know, just those aren't good. No, people. I mean, Come I on. mean, we have rules on trolling the United States of America. If you're mad that people aren't losing their jobs in mass, bleep off, get a life. You know, <laughs> uh, it's the same thing. It's a, it's the same thing I deal with foreclosure people. People are like actively rooting for foreclosures. Do you realize that that is a family that has children in usually that are losing that house just for your belief of some gold god that ex doesn't even exist you know it's just uh, there's gonna be there's gonna tell us how you really feel logan be, i mean there's <laughs> you know there's batman and and the joker that are internal enemies for life and i just feel like the bearish american citizens that have been here since 1790 it's just, it's just going to be this back and forth battle myself with them cycles come and go but there's just a group of people who are just I don't know. What do you call it? Just a bunch of losers. I mean, there's just there's just certain <laughs> things that you you just don't cross. Like those are the rules back in the days. Like you want to make fun of a CEO or go after a company or whatever, but like actively rooting for people to lose their jobs and lose their homes. And you wonder why these people hide behind fake names. This is why. Listen. Yeah. This is why on Twitter, I tell people the the best way to how to deal with Twitter trolls is to challenge them face-to-face -face live. And I'm here and I'm telling everyone who's listening to this, you want this? Let's go. Let's go. Come on Housing Wire. Let's get a live camera. Let me do what I do best. Talk about economic models and get your forecasting and everything. And then once we get you live on camera, I will make sure that this goes to your family members and everything so you can understand <laughs> what it feels like to be a normal person and talk with your name and face. Uh, so. Yeah, you know, we, we know a lot of people hide. I, I was doing a video yesterday with auction.com. We were talking about foreclosures. They, I, I was doing a, you know, give us an update on foreclosures. So this is a company that does a great job really um, helping get that inventory out, getting new bars for that. I know, especially after the great financial crisis, this was, this was huge. You had vacant homes all over the country. They were, you know, trying to connect homes with people who wanted to buy them. They're not, they're not foreclosure fanatics there i mean this is their business and you know the guy said he was like he was very clear that like yes it is up but that's because we had you know some demand that was um you know left over from when we had the foreclose you know the forbearance um and also foreclosure moratoriums he was like so yes the number is up but it's not anything like 2008 so the people who make their business on foreclosures and and other kinds of you know um uh sales of homes i don't even think that there's a foreclosure crisis. By the way, speaking of which, if any of you know a forbearance crash bro, please give him a hug. You know, it just it's just been a very rough 18 months for them. You know, it's just the the <laughs> 10 to 15 million foreclosures that I was being tweeted about when that first happened and actively being cheerful that people were going to lose their house and to have 
forbearance go from five million to under four hundred thousand, and American families stay in their homes. I mean, just give them a hug and just say, "Hey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. The pain of living, <laughs> you know, in twenty twenty two, at some point, will end for you, and people will just Logan, have homes and live you their do lives." Not want, and, you don't want those people to get a hug. That is not what you want. Come on. That's too funny. All right. Well, let's go back. Um, you you talked about mortgage rates and, you know, so six and a quarter, that was your ceiling that we talked about just uh, the last time we did a podcast. I asked you, I was like, what is, how how high could they go? What are you thinking? And I believe you said six and a quarter was kind of the ceiling that you saw. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, pricing, and by the way, nobody should go to Google and get mortgage rate pricing from Google. Like you see these tweets from people like seven and a quarter percent or six, you know, so uh, they, they in, should go to theory, the housing bar mortgage rate center because we yeah, have a, yeah. a really no, great uh, way of doing that where we combine, you know, Freddie Mac, the P- PMMI, the uh, Optimal Blue, they should go to housing, housing wire mortgage rate center. Thank you. Yes, go go to a reputable service that quotes live rate. So, um, uh, you know, kind of that six and a quarter, maybe it was six and a half for a few hours or something like that. Um, again, for me, I'm a bond market guy. And when you look at 1975 to 2022, where the 10-year yield, 30-year yield goes, mortgage rates trend with them. You can have a pricing mechanism dysfunction like we have now, like today, uh, mortgage rates were like six percent uh, in 2018 with a 10-year yield where it was, uh, you know, around three and a quarter. It'd be five percent. Uh, back in 2013 and 14, if the the 10-year yield never got that high, but at three percent, you're looking at four and a half to four point seven five. So, mortgage pricing is is obviously not as functional as we had in the previous decade, but still it moves with the bond market. So I think for the best way, as I say it, is that mortgage rates fell one and a quarter percent with no QE and the Federal Reserve not like buying tons of mortgage-backed securities or anything like that um, because the bond yield fell. So just kind of focus on that. And to me, for the 10-year yield to break out to, let's say, 4% uh, or, or higher, um, the economy has to stay firm, and what's happened in the in, re- in the recent data, the economy stayed firm, right? Uh, retail sales were still positive, industrial production was positive, uh, uh, job growth is still positive, jobless claims have stabilized. Those are the things that, if you are a higher mortgage rate person, you need the economy to stay firm and growing. Uh, I, I don't think you can be one of these seven to nine percent mortgage rates, and then we're in a recession too. Because that that goes back to what we had in '75 and the early '80s. So if you want to make a commodities war, oil pricing, the federal hike rates and mortgage rates will still stay high. In that, okay, that's fair. That's a whole different uh, economy we had back then. But uh, you need the ten-year yield to break out higher. You need the economy to stay firm. So what's happened recently is some of the data has stayed firm. The six recession red flag model is here to. It's before recessions happen. It's not designed to actually be in a recession. It's, it's to give you a heads up. Uh, the last time this happened was in two, late 2006, uh, the late 1990s. You know, so it's not designed to, okay, here, are the, here they are, the recessions here. The last bit of economic data that has to crack is jobs, right? So jobless claims, number one. Where's job openings? Number two. Uh, the jobs data will follow along. So those are the three kind of data lines that you want to see now 
Uh, industrial production is still positive. Retail sales, nominal growth is still high year over year. So those things are still holding up. So if you are a higher mortgage rate camp person, you believe the U.S. economy will stay very firm for longer, which actually is what the Federal Reserve is talking about. You know, the economy's fine and we can push along. If you're not in that category, we're on a recession watch. You're, you're looking to see when the economic data cracks, uh, since all these other indicators are, are, are flashing red flags. For example, housing. Um, housing is in a recession, but it, it seems to be only the thing that everyone cares about is existing home prices falling or rising. That's not how economics works, right? Uh, so uh, recession means production falls, sales falls, jobs falls, incomes falls. So those four things are in the housing market currently. That's why the fifth recession red flag was raised in June for housing, because we're about to see the production of single family homes and they have fallen. Um, the builders are still having that backlog. They need to uh, keep those uh, people working to finish those uh, projects. So that's that's a positive that construction jobs are still growing. Uh, but again, pe- companies are laying off workers. Incomes are down because of that, because sales are down and now production is down. Eventually, when a U.S. recession does happen, those things all form together. That's how it's worked post-World War II. Nothing has ever changed. You don't change a a kind of a, uh, a historical norm just because of whatever you want to believe in. So the data is still firm enough to keep the Fed on track for their uh, 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 rate hikes. And then we're starting to get to the point where we can see where neutral will be. Um, you know, maybe a, a one to one and a half percent more Fed rate hikes before they kind of pause and then see where it's going. And the inflation data, of course, since gas prices are falling, some of that's going to fall. Used car prices are falling, some of that's going to fall. Freight costs are falling. So some of these things are cooling off from the levels. But again, energy is always the key. And since we are in a commodities war right now, and Europe is taking the brunt of it, uh, of course, um, you always have to be mindful whenever there's a war situation, especially when a country uses a commodity as their form of battle. Uh, so oh, and not just talking about what Russia is doing to Europe, but also uh, possibility of China and Taiwan. So be mindful of all that because uh, it, it's so much of supply is, is such a big issue. We see this here in housing, we see it in energy. And uh, uh, so be mindful of that in the future, even though it's some of the inflation data is falling. Uh, we you, some of the energy stuff could just reaccelerate uh, if one or two bad things happen. You know, we're we are recording this on the Friday before Labor Day weekend, um, and then we will be back on Tuesday. But you know, what are you looking forward to next week? Which, when people listen to this, it'll be this week. What are the things that you're really looking at? You know, for the month of September, I, I'm really, really focused on inventory. More, more than I probably have ever have in recent history, because I these new listing declines is like another oh my another worst nightmare scenario is happening, and because mortgage rates have risen now, where the decline started when they fall, I'm keeping an, a, 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 a look at this in the sense that uh, some of the housing data comes in the middle of the month uh, toward the end of the year, but but w- does the higher mortgage rates force new listings to decline more. Uh, That's, again, what you don't want to see. You do not want to see new listings uh, declining at a faster rate. 
Uh, and mortgage purchase application data, one of the things I've talked about is the seasonal impact of last year to this year. So we're going to see some really big negative year-over-year -year numbers uh, uh, for housing for the next four months, because that's last year is when uh, mortgage demand picked up toward the end of the year, and we had that January print of near 6.5 million. So your purchase application data could be showing negative 30% year-over-year uh, uh, prints, especially starting from October because the comps are going to be higher. So uh, keep an eye on purchase application data, see if any of the weekly cha weekly data changes because of higher rates, and then keep an eye on the new listings data. Uh, because if, if new listings were falling when rates were falling, now that rates have gone up again, uh, about 1%, does that make even people call uncle earlier? And I'm I'm just hoping we are we end the year nowhere close to a million active listings. You know the NAR uh, using the NAR number, uh, we started like at eight hundred seventy thousand this year. Uh, we're at one point three one. So hopefully we could just stay above a million as 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 much as possible going into twenty twenty three. You don't want more people calling uncle. Uh, because we're about to have the seasonal period of time where in October total list uh, total inventory tends to fall because it's people don't tend to list their homes during Halloween, Thanksgiving, or, or uh, uh, Christmas and the New Year. So uh, and we start that back up again in the spring and summer. You know, I did want to just say one thing when when you when you started talking way back in COVID about America's back recovery model, and then in that summer, you talked about when we would get all the jobs back. And September of 2022 is a pretty important month in that in that whole forecast that you did, but we've already gotten those jobs back, correct? Yeah, we, we've gotten we've gotten all those jobs. There's also been some benchmark revisions higher. Um, you know, the, the America's back recovery model was, it, it was specifically, to, which was crazy. I, ne I never thought I would need to do this, but it was specifically designed to work off of a global pandemic. Um, and I think what, what people missed, and, and to this day, I always talk about this, uh, economics data was getting better toward 2020 and housing authentically broke out in February of 2020. Uh, purchase application data were up double digits year over year, housing permits, starts, sales, everything broke out. And we got that data in March. And March is right when we were all fighting over toilet paper. So um, because mortgage rates started to fall noticeably, uh, we were designing that model based on give it about a few weeks. And by May 18th, the, the country will stabilize just like what we saw in Italy and in China. And things should go back to normal, which was crazy to say back then. You know, but uh, this is why those dates were very important. You know, May 18th, I know I talked about July 15th and September 1st, actually, in 2020. But um, everyone has to remember, majority of the country is always working. So when mortgage rates fall, it's a disproportional benefit to home sellers and buyers. This is part of the housing dilemma that I've talked about. And for myself right now, um, I want to challenge every Federal Reserve member especially Chairman Powell, to give us an exact understanding, what does housing reset mean? I'm asking all reporters across the country, if you speak to any Fed member, get an answer on that. Uh, because if a housing, re what a housing reset means, 
there should be some target levels that the country could actually work on. You know, for myself, I always talk about we just need inventory get to 1.52 to 1.93 million. I mean, I've been talking about this post COVID for for all for all, but the Fed can't say a statement like that and just let it go. And I think it's uh, uh, it's important for everyone uh, uh, that works in the financial media industry or the reporting to start to challenge Fed members uh, 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 on this premise, so the country could have an understanding. What does a, a housing reset means? Because once you said it, I agreed with it. You know, when I went out to CMCS, I agree with Powell. We needed a reset, but I've got numbers on on what what it means. They need to show enough courage as an institution to start talking to the people what that means. And I'm even even asking Nick Tamaris from the Wall Street Journal, hey, you got connections there. Let's get some answers. And I think the the general public will will love some clarity on that. Uh, uh, that we can move forward with. Do you expect that at their September meeting? Do you think that they'll talk about that? I, I am doing my best to get everyone to ask them that question. Well, for the next meeting, and here we are so, uh, on this podcast. You have you have laid down the gauntlet. You're like, listen, Federal I, Reserve, answer give this me, question. Give me three minutes with any Federal Reserve member. I'll get the answer from them. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. But I, I think it's. I think this is something that. Everyone in the country, whatever your ideological, but I think it's time for the American people to challenge Chairman Powell and the Federal Reserve members now, um, because uh, uh, when you say housing reset, that has a lot of implications. And let I think it's a great thing. I think we should just go at it and actually have a discussion on what that means or what do they think? Because housing went into a recession very fast. Uh, the production of product. Is declining already. So again, the best thing to fight inflation is always adding more supply. Unless you have like major population growth or something, supply always wins at the end. So that has already been taking off. So I, I, I have to understand what does housing reset means, and then I could actually think I could I make a model out of that. Uh, but they weren't very clear. So own it. If you say it, own it. Um, uh, if any of the Federal Reserve members wants. To allow me to ask them that question, please let me do it, right? Because uh, I think it'd be useful for the country right now because a lot of this volatility we see, it's when you buy a home or when you sell a home, it's like the biggest decision you make really outside of marriage and kids, right? So uh, clarity would be good. And again, I, my, my concern here has been coming from watching that new listings data decline. Uh, from July. So I am coming at this from that position right now. Uh, uh, that uh, uh, what what did they mean by that? And once we get some clarity, I think, you know, people can make some uh, better life lifetime uh, choices right now. But you don't leave that up and just let it walk away. You and I talked about this before the podcast. And one of the things is, you know, how does a business, especially a housing business, whether that's mortgage or real estate or, you know, it's very hard to under to know what you should be planning for if you don't know what a housing reset is going to involve. Yeah. And, I th- and you know, the the inventory issue, I mean, as somebody was saying it, God, we when we brought up we needed higher rates, that was February of 2021. Right. Then that was before, you know, that was my kind of media tour that always oh, everyone don't worry about forbearance crash, worry about home prices take off. Look where we are. The last case, Schiller print 18% year over year growth. Um, imagine if rates didn't rise this year and we we're still in that cat- kind of category. 
Um, so I, I think it's 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 a fair question to ask Chairman Powell because he made it very public. So you break it, you own it, you say it, you own it, but you got to explain it, right? And uh, I think it'd be good for the country. I think it'd be good for the American people. I think it'd be good for institutions uh, um, because what I don't want to see, which has always been my main concern, is housing getting stuck. Because the seasonality of choices, people making choices to sell their homes, to buy another one to move, usually happens kind of the year before they go at it. And if people are already taking their listings out, I just think there's a lot of confusion out there. Uh, and uh, um, uh, the Fed could clear up some, uh, some of that confusion. Logan, always great to have you on. We will see if the Fed answers your question. I know our um, journalists are also asking that, and it will be interesting to see. Thanks for being on and, and sharing your insights. My pleasure. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW Plus, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.